0: our GAPS 101 podcast. My name is Monica Holland. I'm a certified GAPS coach and nutritional therapist and thank you so much for joining me. I'm here to interview health experts, share healing stories, provide practical tips and answer your questions to help you on your healing journey. This is part two of our podcast about GAS. Together with a fellow GAPS coach Tanya, we are exploring this very needed subject. In part one, we explored gas, bloating, burping, Uh, so please listen to it as there is a lot of valuable information. Before we start, I just wanted to say how grateful we are uh, for, for you, Tanya, to take your time and help our members learn a bit more about gas. And I'm also very grateful for our members having that hunger to learn about their bodies and that thirst for healing. So thank you so much for being an amazing community. Uh, just please know that, uh, that the below, the, all the answers we're going to, to go through, uh, the answers to your questions, they are intended to be uh, for information purposes only. It cannot be replaced by uh, by any medical um, advice from your healthcare practitioner. So now off to answering the questions from How to Gaps members. Um, so Tanya, are you ready?
1: I'm ready and thank you. I look forward to you know answering these questions and providing the listeners, you know, with some feedback.
0: Amazing. So our first question is from Chris. Which foods are the most gassy? Uh, is there a list of vegetables that are widely commonly gas producers for most people? For example, for me, the culprits are avocado, onion, boiled egg, beans. Even though it's not food, banana. Uh, sugar in general? And I think she also mentioned she's fine with ripe mango.
1: This is a a really good question, and it's going to have a long answer to it because there's a lot on the list that we can talk about. So um, we are ready. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, get your pens ready. Yes, and a paper and pad. So um, we can break this, you know, this answer up into two categories. There are the foods that kill the bacteria, which then release gas into the digestive system as a result of them dying. And then there are the foods that feed the bacteria, which then release gas into the digestive system because the bacteria process the food and produce a gas as a byproduct. So in these two subcategories, we also have GAPS food and non-GAPS food. So let's concentrate first on the GAPS foods that cause die-off, where the bacteria, they die off and they release the gas upon their death. So on this list, I have cultured dairy, anything that's fermented, such as fermented vegetables or fruits. These are die-off foods. There's the commercial probiotics. And Dr. Natasha has also mentioned that coconut oil and olive oil can produce a die-off effect. And so all these foods that I listed are somewhat, you know, common known die-off foods. But there's also the foods that, you know, um, may not be on this list. But let's say there's those foods that boost the body's immunity, you know, such as meat stock where um, it enables your body to gain the strength in order to kill off the microbes itself. So um, it's those die off foods, but also any food, you know, uh, that could boost your body strength, give it enough in order for it to kill off the microbes itself. So that was the first category, you know, so, so food.
0: If, if I could actually just add, uh, sorry, Fania, for me, ginger and beetroot because they are so potent, such a potent healing foods, they would create a die-off and they would create a gas. So um, so yeah, sorry, I just wanted to to share my experience.
1: Yes, thank you for adding that. You know, there's also, you know, like uh, I've heard of garlic, you know, can um, be very detoxing and produce a die-off effect. So there are, it's good that you mentioned that there are others, you know, out there that can produce these die-off effects that may not be commonly known, but you could experience the symptoms of die-off from killing off the bacteria and releasing the gas into our digestive tract. So good that you mentioned that. Hmm. So the other category that we'll get into is um, the foods that feed the bacteria. And so um, in this, I'm gonna break it up into two other subcategories, one where we have non-GAPS foods and one where we have GAPS foods. Now, I wanna concentrate on the non-GAPS foods first that feed the bacteria. I call these the cheat foods in that if you're on GAPS, These are the foods that you're going to most likely cheat on, and you're going to crave them. And it's because the bacteria need them to survive. They send signals to your brain to make you crave them. So, for instance, on the list, we have processed carbohydrates. Think of breads. Think of crackers. Then we have processed sugar. Almost, you know, anything, you know, nowadays that's processed has sugar added to it. And you, and you also think of all those other processed sugars that are substitutes, you know, for regular white sugar. There's, you know, on this list, we also have um, milk, uncultured milk, which has lactose in it, which is the sugar within milk. So if it's not properly, you know, predigested by culturing it, that can feed the bad bacteria. On the list, there's starchy vegetables, which is the beans, the legumes, and others. And interestingly, fiber. Fiber can feed both good and bad bacteria. And last that I have on my list for this category is the fillers within supplements. These fillers are put in there to keep the, you know, the supplements or the probiotics um, intact, but they can feed the bad bacteria. And so what's really interesting about this list is that um, they feed the bad bacteria, but these are the common items that we either eliminate or reduce drastically when we come onto gaps. Those are the first things that go out of the pantry and we, you know, clear out. So because our microbiome is so used to consuming these foods on a regular basis, when we come onto gaps and we eliminate these foods, we're actually starving those microbes or those bad bacteria in our gut that have relied on this food as a source of energy to allow them to thrive and repopulate within our gut. So when we starve them, there will be a die-off effect just from eliminating these foods in our system. And it's really, you know, interesting to note that, you know, some of the gas symptoms that could be occurring when you come right on to gas and you start your transition happen as a result of us eliminating these foods and killing off, you know, the microbes that relied on them. And so... That was, you know, one list, you know, of non-GAS foods, the cheap foods. But then, you know, when we're on GAS, we're fully into it, you know, we're a couple months in or several years and we're experiencing some, you know, GAS symptoms. We could be um, eating some foods that feed the microbes, the bad bacteria, and then they release the GAS. So some common gaps foods that can cause you know gas symptoms, we would have nuts on that list. There would be sugar on that list, and that could be you know anything such as honey, fruit, or the sugary vegetables that we consume. The sugar can feed the yeast in our you know microbiome that cause the gas. There's also um, we mentioned in part one about cultured dairy. We culture the dairy in order to pre-digest the sugar within it. And we want to culture that dairy at least 36 hours so that the sugar is fully pre-digested. So keep that in mind. If you're wanting to, you know, consume cultured dairy, make sure to pre-digest it or to let it culture on your counter for at least 36 hours. Or if you're experiencing, you know, some gas symptoms after you eat the cultured dairy, just keep in mind, you know, how long you cultured it. If you only did it for the 24 hours, try a little bit longer, at least 36, to get all that sugar out of it. And, you know, we also mentioned part one of the podcast, the fermented vegetables. If, you know, you're planning to ferment the very sweet vegetables or the, the sweet fruits, you want to make sure that you properly ferment them And for a sufficiently long time, so that that sugar is all pre-digested and we're not consuming it, that then feed those yeasts and produce those gas symptoms. So what we like to think of is we want to eat sour foods. Think of sour, not sweet, so that the sour has the sugar eliminated from it. And the sweet sugar is, we don't consume it so that it's feeding those yeast to create the gas in our digestive system, s- symptom, to create the gas in our digestive system so that these symptoms, you know, the gas symptoms don't appear.
0: So, Tanya, would, this- you, would you, sorry, would you just mind uh, giving us a couple of examples of, of what would you consider as a sweet vegetable and what would you consider a sour vegetable?
1: Okay, that's really good. So I think of sweet vegetables as carrots, um, beets, definitely they have a higher, you know, sugar content in them. Uh, I'm sure, you know, the listeners can just do uh, a Google search, um, internet search, just to, you know, look up which vegetables have the higher sugar content in them. Does any, you know, come
0: to mind for you beyond the carrots and the beets butternut squash for me i think it's one oh. of the s- kind of sweetest uh vegetable um uh, definitely uh, definitely I, I would i would think that vegetables which are high uh, in starch and those which are very dense uh, they're usually uh, more on the sweet side and, yes, and the sour ones are, are, are perhaps the ones which are a little bit more watery. So your courgette, zucchini, um, uh, or, or, or some countries call it winter squash. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so those those vegetables would, would be on the on the sour uh, kind of you know uh, part of it.
1: Yeah, like the the broccoli or cauliflower or celery. Um, those would be more sour, definitely. That, that's a very valid and good point to raise, yeah. And um, so what I'll say is, you know, we talked about the gas foods, the, the nuts and the sugar, you know, that feed the microbes, but there, you know, are some also that are, you know, neither sugary um, nor nuts that I found, particularly when I was tracking, you know, doing a daily diary or journal, that would cause me gas, and they didn't fall into this category. And so, some of those would be like onions, avocados, mushrooms, and those cruciferous vegetables. Those in my, you know, um, daily diary, my tracking, those caused me to have gas, and particularly when I had them all combined in one meal, they were very potent for me, you know. It was difficult for me to digest and it came out, you know, as a gas symptom. And so Dr. Natasha in her Yellow and Blue book mentions these sulfur-reducing bacteria. They produce a rotten egg-like smell. And then there's also the archaea, which produce sewer-like smell. So my assumption is, is that when I eat these foods, and I don't stimulate enough stomach acid to properly digest them, what happens is the undigested, you know, food particles go through my digestive system and they actually feed potentially these types of microbes that give me these stinky farts that smell like, you know, the sulfur, the rotten egg, you know, smelling gas or the sewer like gas. But, you know, from tracking my, you know, what I eat daily and my symptoms, I have found that when I properly stimulate stomach acid and I'm very consciously aware of it, and you know I eat enough of the natural foods to stimulate sufficient stomach acid, that I do not, you know, end up with the stinky farts. So, um, it, you know, we, we come back to, you know, stimulating the the stomach acid, and it, it's critical, you know, to make sure that that food is digested so that that we're not feeding those bacteria. And so an interesting point, you know, to end off this, you know, long-winded answer to this, you know, very good question is that Dr. Natasha indicates that animal products are much easier to digest than plant food. If, you know, you go back over the podcast and go back over this list, there's a lot on there that are plant food. So you'll notice that, you know, one of the foods that doesn't, you know, that is not on this list is it's not mentioned that meat, you know, meat can, you know, produce gas. So feel free to eat as much, you know, gelatinous meat as you want without, you know, worry of the, the gas symptoms.
0: And you know what? Yes, it's been it's been a, a, a quite a long answer, but I've enjoyed every second of it, and I'm sure that uh, those who are listening to uh, to this podcast, they um, they've really really learned a lot just from that one answer. And uh, I just wanted to quickly summarise what we've what we've said to hopefully simplify it. And um, just think about it as three three groups of foods. Uh, one group which causes and creates die-off, that's all the foods which are healing uh, foods and they, they boost your immunity. So therefore you can even get a uh, gas or bloating from, from a meat stock. Then you have non gaps foods. So we want to kind of, you know, get rid of all those foods from, from, from our uh, diets. That's all the processed food, carbs, sugars, uh, very starchy vegetables like beans, um, high fiber, and obviously supplements with fillers. And then we do have the gaps foods, uh, which are gaps allowed, uh, but uh, but they may feed that pathogens. And and most of those those foods are, are, on, um, are allowed on more advanced uh, stages of gaps. Uh, so think about nuts. Think about fruits, uh, feed, uh, think about uh, sweeter vegetables and obviously make sure that all your uh, fermented um, like kefir yogurt is fermented for long enough. Um, and, 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 and that, that last point, which you've mentioned Tanya about that meat is much easier to digest than the plant matter. And um, I would probably say 50% of my clients, they are on a no, no plant gaps. And, and they're all doing amazing um, and typically those people have um, severe digestive problems and within a couple of weeks they discover um you know what my extreme pain uh is is, is being reduced my bloating my gas i'm not burping anymore and and all the symptoms are lifting so uh, this is definitely uh, a clue to uh, healing uh, more more kind of severe digestive symptoms, but okay, let's move to the next question. Our next question is from Ingrid, um, and there are three parts to this question, so I'm just going to uh, um, read out uh, three parts to that one question. First part: How to beat down gas slash bloating um, from SIBO constipation. Uh, slash intestinal methane overgrowth. Second part of this question, archaea produces methane gas when fed. What feeds uh, archaea and what kills or starves it? And the third part to this question, um, when to introduce probiotic food slash juices in the GAPS diet when you actually do suffer with with SIBO or intestinal methane uh, overgrown and when to introduce probiotic supplement i've have heard supplements are better than probiotic food uh, for those with uh, with SIBO and IMO is that correct looking forward to listening to the podcast so Tanya you've got you've got a big job to do now
1: Great. That's, you know, it's good that they have a lot of questions and that means that they're wanting to learn and understand, you know, and it further, you know, helps them on their journey. So that's great. So I'll break it down. You know, there was a lot of questions. So I'll start with the first one. And that was, you know, how do we deal with the gas and bloating when we have SIBO? So I would suggest working on changing the gut dysbiosis associated with SIBO. You know, we have to force, you know, ourselves to eat the cultured dairy, the fermented foods, and taking probiotics to, you know, change that gut dysbiosis. So in the beginning, this will initiate bloating to happen as you kill off the bacteria. It sounds counterintuitive, although it's a necessity to address the original issue, which is the gut dysbiosis. But as time goes on, the bloating should subside as you populate the gut with good bacteria. So keep up, you know, your work, concentrate on, you know, consuming those die off foods um, in order for you to change um, your gut dysbiosis for the better. And then also concentrate on stimulating stomach acid at each meal to ensure you properly digest the food. Definitely go back to the recommendations, you know, within the first podcast to see what options you feel like you want to incorporate. But stomach acid is very important in our journey. So the second question that you know, if I if I remember correctly, it was about the um, archaea, and so what feeds them and you know what kills them or starves them off. And Dr. Natasha mentions these in her latest blue book, which, by the way, is phenomenal. So if you haven't read it, go out and grab it. It, you know, talks about um, these archaea in it. Uh, unfortunately, she says that the research, research into these microbes is still in its infancy. So I, I really don't have, you know, a specific answer to this, what kills them, what starves them. You know, we, we might have to wait until further research is conducted and published on these before we have that answer.
0: Mm. And I just wanted to, to add something here because uh, lots of people ask this question about, about the microbes, about microbiome, and about specifics, or how do we test it? How do we understand it? So, So imagine that our microbiome, so the microbiome is that collection of everything. Viruses, bacteria, fungi, protozoa. So imagine it is like a Milky Way, and we try to understand it. Well, if you think about Milky Way, there are around four billion stars in the galaxy, and our modern science does not know everything about it. Now, I've read somewhere, I can't remember where, so please don't <laughs> uh, don't point it out if you find the source. Uh, but it is estimated that there are around 100 trillion microbes. Let me repeat it, 100 trillion microbes. Um, so with our current you know, technology and even the level of sophistication of modern science, if we cannot measure 4 billion stars, we cannot measure 100 trillion microbes. We cannot measure them. We cannot test them. We cannot fully understand them. And also to add to the complexity of, 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 of the situation, uh, scientists actually discovered uh, microbes' ability to change its shape and form to actually to the point that they become a different microbe. Um, and usually that process happens due to the um, environmental changes the foods we're consuming so that microbe we are trying to test and understand becomes a different microbe and you know for those who are interested in the subject it's like it's it's honestly it's a it's, it's a gold mine when it comes to microbiome and uh, but it's called the process is called pleomorphism so please google research more uh but the point in here is that we Currently, we're not able to, to understand to fully understand uh, um, singular uh, uh, um, viruses or singular bacteria or singular um, fungi. Um, but yeah, sorry, Tanya, I just I just wanted to add it, and uh, but please do carry on with answering the the third part of the question.
1: I like that that you you know. You added that in there because it is so fascinating, you know, the microbiome and how it changes and fluctuates, and you know, we we don't have all the answers just yet. So to focus on you know one particular one that hasn't been studied yet in its you know um, complexity and, and to its fullest extent um, is difficult, you know, to answer the question. But I feel like you know the the gaps protocol is a very good start in changing, you know, the microbiome for the better because we know what um, we know what exists, you know, in a healthy microbiome and we have to just work on, you know, concentrating on the gaps protocol which helps us to shift our microbiome to that, you know, a more healthier one. So, that's great.
0: Absolutely.
1: Right. And so um, the last part that you know of those questions, I think it was about you know when to introduce those probiotic foods and juices versus you know the commercial uh, probiotic supplements. So, Doctor Natasha indicates that the liquid from fermented foods can be introduced right from the beginning. The quantity of liquid that one can tolerate is very individual, and you need to introduce it slowly. So taking a little bit at a time and introducing it very slowly so that you go through the die-off effects and are able to manage them. Because if you take too much at one time and the die-off is too severe, it can instigate uh, some very unwanted symptoms. So we want to take it very slowly when we're introducing those fermented foods. And in terms of the food particles versus the juices, You know, um, it it depends if you're on um, the intro stages or full gas. If you're on full gas, well, uh, once you start introducing the liquid, you know, the next step is to introduce the the vegetables slowly into it as, you know, your body permits you to do so. And, you know, in the intro stage is, I believe it's stage three, where we start introducing the... um, the, the food particles from the fermented food. So we can start you know definitely with the liquid from, from fermented foods right off the bat and then move into the food particles that have been fermented. Now in terms of the commercial you know supplements or probiotics, um, Dr. Natasha has some suggestions in her yellow book and her blue book on you know when to introduce them and what type to buy, but what I will say is at the beginning when you come onto the protocol, keep in mind that your body will go through some die-off from just starving the microbiome from that food that they're accustomed to eating and that feeds them, you know, it has fed them over so many years. So expect some die-off symptoms just by cutting out those foods. Then once you experience those die-off symptoms from transitioning onto, you know, gaps, then and you feel much more capable of, you know, introducing those fermented liquids, then do so gradually. Go through the die-off slowly and incrementally from those fermented liquids, and then when you're ready to tackle, you know, um, the fermented vegetable particles, then do so, you know, slowly with that. And then, you know, go on to the commercial probiotics. Again, slowly introducing them and very incrementally. If we, you know, introduce everything at once, we'll go through some very severe die-off. So forewarning, you know, take it very slowly as your body will allow you to do so. You know, you're in it for the long haul and it's better to handle those die-off symptoms very slowly and what you can tolerate to make it much more pleasurable in the long run.
0: And sometimes, sometimes I, well, sometimes quite often I do have a question like, what does it mean to go slowly? And for some going slowly, it will be just one drop of sauerkraut juice diluted in a cup of meat stock. For some, it's going to be one tablespoon. Um, so again, it's very bio-individual um, and back to kind of tracking your, uh, your symptoms and the foods. If you can write down everything then within a couple of weeks you will start uh, linking the foods and symptoms and finding the trends and understanding what is happening
1: and uh, you you raise a very valid point about the tracking because you know for instance myself i can't remember what i ate yesterday or two days ago so I can't remember, you know, what quantity or dosage of that die-off food I consumed several days back. So, you know, you you want to I would say track also the dosage of what you're consuming for that, you know, die-off food or that probiotic, so all of a sudden you don't spike and cause yourself to go through some severe die-off because you've you've forgotten, you know, what you were doing previously. So it's, it's good to track it that way.
0: 100%. I 100% agree with that. And and especially, you know, um, if you are listening to this podcast and you suffer with a brain fog, memory issues, um, concentration, um, or any other kind of, you know, uh, mental symptoms, gosh, you need to write it down. You're, I promise you, you're not going to remember. If you don't write it down straight away or within, within the first hour, um because we 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 just our memory is not that great and even when you recover from those memory issues i still promise you you're not going to remember everything what you what you've done what you ate how you felt a day before um but yeah back to our question so another question is from tom uh tom who suffers from severe indigestion when he lies down Uh, So Tom says, I feel fine when walking or sitting, but as soon as I put my head on the pillow, there is that feeling of trapped gas around my chest and even higher up. Uh, What causes it and what what can I do about it?
1: Okay. Without the ability to have, you know, a personalized one-on-one conversation with Tom, where I can ask more specific questions, my mind narrows in on the yeast that could be present at the top of the stomach. This is where the yeast likes to hang out because it has the perfect conditions where they can thrive. My guess is that there is still undigested food in your stomach before you lie down. So when you lie down, the undigested food shifts in the stomach cavity such that the yeast can feed on it and ferment it to produce the gas. The toxins that are released from this process can then inflame the stomach wall, causing some pain, and then can cause the digestion of the food to slow down. So this could be the reason for the feeling of indigestion right after you lie down. So to help with this situation, I would try to give your body sufficient time to digest the food before lying down. I think they say not to eat two hours you know, before bed. If you want, you know, if you find that after a couple hours, you're having difficulty still digesting the food, then try to stimulate, you know, the stomach acid by consuming some sauerkraut so that, you know, digestion uh, gets processed further along. Or try consuming one of the other foods mentioned, you know, that also stimulates stomach acid. We need sufficient stomach acid for digestion to fully complete itself. So, you know, concentrate on always stimulating it, even if, you know, you're feeling like your digestion is sluggish after eating the meal, continue to, you know, uh, use those natural foods to stimulate that stomach acid to complete the entire process of digestion. And in the long run, you know what, Um, you'll want to concentrate on reestablishing those beneficial bacteria in the stomach. This will reduce the yeast overgrowth, consume, you know, cultured dairy, the fermented foods, and the probiotics. They're a must, you know, in order to address this gut dysbiosis. And I just want to clarify, you know, that my proposed theory of why you're experiencing the symptoms you describe, it is just a theory. We can never truly understand what is happening inside your body we don't have a microscope, you know, to look inside the body to get the overall picture. And even if we did, the body is very complex for us to understand. So, take the proposed answers to your questions as let's say plausible theories that we're throwing out there for your consideration. As well, you know, I want to emphasize that these suggestions in this podcast are very generic. If you're listening to this podcast, The suggestions may or may not work for everyone, you know, everyone has different health conditions that play a role in how their body is operating. If you're finding that the suggestions are not working for you or you're seeing unwanted results, perhaps it's best to work with a GAPS coach to look at the overall picture and tailor those suggestions to your concerns and your health conditions.
0: And uh, it's, it's, such a, it's such a good answer and I agree 100% with everything you said Tanya and um, I, I'm, I've just got a, a, a quick reflection on on several clients who had a very similar very similar issues and um, and pretty much every single client told me that when they went to a doctor, the doctor recommended a medication which actually lowers the stomach acid. So actually, the opposite uh, to to what we're trying to what actually Dr. Natasha um, studied and uh, tested, and she had a remarkable result in her in her clinical setting. Uh, lowering stomach acid is going to make the whole situation worse. So we actually need to work on increasing the stomach acid and. Tom, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't listened to part one, I would invite you to revisit part one because Tanya shared so many, so many great um, natural remedies uh, to help you increase that stomach acid. But let's move on to the another question is from Eve. Uh, Okay, so Eve says, I have recently read that probiotics help with relieving bloating, and I got one which is high in lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. I started taking it, but my bloating just got worse and worse. Oh, interesting. So I stopped. I thought it would relieve my bloating, but it only made it worse. I, th- I think if, you already, if you're if you listening to this podcast, I'm sure you, you already know what's been happening. But i let Tanya to, to, to answer this question for you.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry that you had to, you know, go through that and that it got to the extreme that, you know, you had to stop taking it. But, you know, that's good that you're listening to your body. And what that means is it just has to be, you know, we have to go at a slower pace. So, for instance, you know, as we kill off the bad bacteria by introducing those good bacteria from the lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, those bad bacteria will will release gas when they die off. So unfortunately, in the beginning, you know, when you're taking, when you start to take these probiotics, your bloating symptoms can get worse. But in the long run, it is critical to go through this process and kill off those bad bacteria, you know, instead, perhaps, you know, to make the situation a little bit more easy on yourself and more pleasurable, you know, um, or not as severe of symptoms, you know, gradually introduce the probiotics so that the bloating is manageable and not so severe all at once. I'd suggest opening up the probiotic capsule and taking a portion of the probiotic which that could mean you know for some people they have to take a toothpick, dip it into the, the probiotic and then dip it into some water to drink something you know so small like for some people probiotics can have such a severe die-off reaction. That they have to take it so incrementally small and in, sm- in such small dosages. And, you know, I'd suggest, you know, gradually increase the docia- dosage every, like, say, four to five days. Don't do it every day that you're increasing it. You wanna go through the die off. You wanna, you know, your body to feel healthy to then go on to the next set of die off symptoms. So, um, you know, take it very slow make sure your body feels capable of handling the next set of die-offs before you actually increase that dosage. Now, in this case, I would say
0: slow and steady wins this race. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, uh, and one, one, one thing I'm just going to add, uh, remember that our body may react um, even up to 72 hours after you consume something. So what Tanya mentioned, you know, try to increase it uh, four, five de- every four or five days is a really, really valid recommendation, because if you increase it after two days, you may still be reacting to the dose which you actually taken three days before. Uh, but on to our next question, and I quite like that question. I've never had that question before. And uh, This question is from Daria, and Daria asked, When my microbiome is fully restored, will I stop having gas altogether?
1: I like that question because you know what? I've thought of that for a very long time, you know, in my journey and, you know, hoping that, you know, things will get better and that eventually things will stop. So that's good that you're thinking about it. And what I'd like to say is, you know, the hope is that, you know, your gut will be restored to a point where the gas is very minimal. I don't think we can, let's say, ever completely, completely eliminate the gas. There will always be, you know, some food, you know, that produces manageable amounts. And think of, you know, right now, perhaps you're on gaps. Well, think of if you go through, you know, the different stages, each stage may induce some gas with it. And then after, you know, once we're on full gaps, then we go on to the coming off gaps and where we introduced. Foods that are even more harder to digest, and that may produce some gas. So, we're always, you know, on a journey, you know, from here on out, we're always going to be trying to further digest other foods that have been, you know, difficult for us in the past to previously digest. And so, we could, you know, there could be always, you know, manageable gas that happens or amounts of gas that comes out symptomatic of what we're eating so not to you know you know leave you discouraged and saying that you know we're always going to have gas the, the gas you know will become more manageable and for myself I see that you know when I started gaps I had a lot of you know gas from what I was eating and now I find it's much more manageable as time progresses I make sure you know I stimulate sufficient stomach acid in order to fully digest the food. And when I do this, I feel great for the rest of the day. It is a huge help to me. So have hope that, you know, the gas will reduce itself and be more manageable.
0: And you know what, Tanya, there is there is another question which I, I had it on my list later on, but actually it is quite related to the question that we asked. And this is a question from Randy. And I am tempted to ask this question now before we jump to other questions because I feel they are somehow Ah. related. So Randy asks, does bloating have an actual function? I ask this because many unpleasant things have a function in the body.
1: Great question. And I would say bloating is more like a symptom telling us what could be possibly happening in the digestive system. It happens because gas is produced. The gas is a byproduct which causes the symptom. I personally think of the word function to mean that the body has a reason for doing what it needs to do to accomplish a task to its own benefit. I don't feel like and, you know, I haven't come across any benefits to bloating, you know, aside from the benefit that we're killing off the bad bacteria that shouldn't be there in the in the first place. And that's then creating the gas byproduct that we're experiencing as a bloating symptom. So from my perspective, I see it simply as the gas produced is a byproduct of what's happening in the gut which then results in the symptom of bloating. I don't know, Monica, do you have anything to add to that?
0: Well, when I think about gas in, in, in the whole digestive system, so not only bloating, but gas in general, uh, and I think, and I, I divide it into kind of two kind of causes of where do we get that gas from? So the first one is we get it from the air. So from the outside environment. So when we eat, we swallow air, and the second part, we, we produce gases by, by bacteria inside our body, which we talked ex- in, in part one uh, of our podcast. So, so my, my way of thinking is gas can be upsetting, annoying, embarrassing, but, it is a, but it's a big part of our digestive process. We like it or we don't like it. So unless there is an excessive gas or painful gas, that's actually a good thing because it means your digestive system is doing what it's supposed to do breaking down foods into vitamins minerals that our body needs so it's only when it becomes excessive and it, and you are aware of it uh then you should start addressing it uh but i think that's 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 how i would kind of you know uh, uh um close off that question would you agree diana Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, so now going back to our next question. So our next question is from Julie. So Julie says, "Um, I started doing enemas to get rid of the bloating. uh, As I've heard it would help, but I've tried to do uh, an enema and I was more bloated than before. Why did the enema bloat me?
1: My question to you would be whether you did a cleansing enema where you prepared a solution of baking soda plus the salt plus the water. Baking soda is very deadly to to the yeast. So if you did an enema where you injected the baking soda in you, perhaps you could be killing off some of that yeast and they release some gas upon their death to cause the bloating. So, um, you know, take a look at that. As well, you know, an enema in general helps the body to detoxify. When we detoxify the body, it gets stronger. A stronger body could also have caused further die-off that appeared in the form of bloating. So over time, you know, performing cleansing enemas should have an overall benefit, and the the bloating should resolve itself on the GAPS protocol. So, So don't fret, okay? But... For right now, my suggestion would be to try doing an enema with only you know water and a pinch of salt. See if you continue to bloat afterwards after this. In the long run, work your way up to using the solution prepared with the water, the baking soda, and the salt combined together. It can mean that you start your doing your enema with the majority of the injections with only water, and then the very last injection is with the baking soda solution. That may also help with working up the stamina to full-blown enemas, enemas with only the baking you know, soda solution.
0: And this is absolutely a great suggestion, Tanya. And um, and Julie, I think there are, um, there are so many other variables about, about why bloating happens after you've had enema. And, and, and you know why sometimes Uh, we get blurted after the enema because we did not release the gas in the enema tube before we actually inserted it into our rectum. So one of the things you know always check, uh, well, first of all, open the enema valve and let the enema solution run into the sink or bath to ensure that there are no air bubbles in the tube. Because if you don't release them to your bath or sink, you will release them inside of your colon, and that will cause bloating, and sometimes even cramps. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think I think I think there are few other um, few other suggestions. I think one of the things when you when you prepare the uh, bicarbonate of soda solution and solution, um, if you were listening to a part one of the podcast when we we're talking about uh, drinking. Uh, food grade bicarbonate of soda. Make sure that you actually dissolve it in a, in a boiling water to, to dissolve the natural gases, which bicarbonate of sodas got, because otherwise you are dissolving them inside you. Um, so that could also cause uh, uh, that blurting. But okay, the next question is from Jennifer. And Jennifer says, quite often I want to pass the gas uh, I want to pass gas the moment I start eating food. Why is it happening? Am I reacting to to food so quickly?
1: That is a great question. I'm so glad that I'm not alone, because I have asked that myself too, as you know, we do, we I go, do <laughs> uh, yeah, what I like, I'm tracking, you know, my, my daily journal or diary and going, what is happening? You know, is it, you know, what I'm eating? And, So yes, I have noticed that in myself, you know, I eat some food and then I feel like I need a fart, you know, it's natural. (laughs) So it's part of, you know, the the human digestive system. But I'm going to say, I don't personally think farts come out instantaneously. They're a result of a previous meal. So like for myself, you know, the farts come out about five to six hours later when, you know, I'm not constipated. And sometimes it can be longer. It's all, you know, bio-individual based on what's happening in your gut. And so what I'll say is that, you know, conceptually, when we eat, you know, some food, we rev up that digestive system. Room needs to be made in the digestive tract in order to accommodate that volume of new food coming into our stomachs. So when we eat, the system is literally blowing and making more space at the back end of the line so that by making more space that's where the gas comes out
0: definitely and then and think about think about your whole digestive uh, system as like a uh, like a big block of flats with lots of um, uh, with few levels and the first level, on the top of that block of flat is thinking. And just bear with me. I want you to think about your favorite food. Just think about it, whether it's ice cream, whether it's chocolate, whether, it, whether it's a uh, meat stock. If there are people who love the meat stock, they will be. So as soon as you think about your favorite food, and this is happening in my mouth as well, you start producing saliva in your mouth. Your mouth is pretty much full of of saliva now. So the thinking triggered your digestive system to start producing saliva. Now, if you start thinking about lower levels in that block of flats, then you've got your esophagus, then you've got your stomach, then you've got your small intestine, you've got the large bowel and so on. So, so when you put the food in your mouth, uh, you are sending a message to your stomach to start releasing, uh, start increasing the stomach aces, uh, producing digestive juices and so on. So that gas, that fart is not because you just put the piece of uh, something to it in your mouth, but you actually send the message to the floor number two from the floor number eight saying hey i'm coming i'm coming down um but yeah jennifer please also listen to um to part one of this podcast because we discussed the the, the the importance of collecting your health data in your uh, GABS diary and uh, because that will help you understand which foods actually cause gas and when as well um, The next question comes from Sarah. Um, Each morning I wake up uh, and I have burps. Uh, Why is it happening? Why do I burp in the morning, first time in the morning? Okay.
1: I would probably guess that you are likely not digesting your supper properly from the previous night. Some food remains in the stomach and the bad bacteria fermented overnight. The fermentation releases the gas that gets trapped in your stomach while you sleep. And then when you wake up, you feel the urge to burp and release the gas. This is one plausible explanation for what is happening. But how, how do we deal with this? So make sure that you don't eat a couple of hours before going to bed. You want to you know give your digestion sufficient time to process the food before you fall asleep. and. You think about it, when we are asleep, our digestion drastically slows down. As well, you know, make sure to consume foods that, you know, that that are within your supper that will also stimulate stomach acid. You know, we need to make sure that, you know, we stimulate the stomach acid so that the, the food will fully digest so that it no longer remains in your stomach overnight where it can ferment. And over time, you know what? You also want to work on the gut dysbiosis and populate it with beneficial bacteria. The bacteria suppress the stomach acid. It's it's the bad bacteria that suppress the stomach acid. So we need to outpopulate those bad bacteria with good ones. And we also need to remove those toxins that enter into our digestive system. You know, um, they're the main reason the bad bacteria are, are hanging around in our stomach. So that would be toxins within our food or from our amalgam fillings and so forth. So we want to you know, concentrate on eliminating or removing those toxins that cause the bad bacteria to be there in the first place. And that then cause you know, low stomach acid, which impedes on our digestion.
0: We've got another question about burping actually. Uh, this question is from Marfa. And she says, I'm fine until an hour after a meal, then the burps start. What is going on?
1: I think that's, you know, um, very similar. It comes back to, you know, undigested food that remains in your stomach from the last meal that's feeding the bad bacteria, you know, the bacteria then fermented in the food into the gas. And so I'd say, you know, work on naturally stimulating the stomach acid by eating like the sauerkraut, the potent sauerkraut, you know, do it 10 to 15 minutes before each meal, or you can consume any one of the other foods, you know, previously mentioned in part one, which will help the body to naturally stimulate the stomach acid. This will, you know, help to ensure that food gets properly digested and does not eventually feed those bad bacteria. However, you know, understandably, if, you know, you forget to have the the food that secretes the stomach acid with your meal, you forget it, you know, you're overwhelmed, and let's say the burps continue happening within the two to three hours after the meal, um, I would say, you know, you still want to, when the burps are happening, consume, you know, some of those natural foods that will stimulate the stomach acid. Particularly, you know, again, sauerkraut because it's the number one most potent, you know, one that will naturally stimulate stomach acid. So either the fermented juice or the, ve- the veggies, you know, and this, you know, when you continue to eat those natural foods to stimulate stomach acid, it will further help to digest those lingering foods in the stomach.
0: Tanya? Tanya? That was the last question from our How To GAPS members, but I would like to ask two more questions. Uh, Could you give us some insights in terms of uh, when our listeners should reach out to GAPS coaches in the context of GAPS's situation?
1: That is, you know, a really good question, which, you know, many of our listeners are probably, you know, wondering themselves right now. And, you know, I'd say, if the gas is tolerable and you feel capable of handling it yourself, then feel free to tackle the situation on your own. Do keep in mind that all the suggestions noted in you know, this podcast are very generic and they're not gonna work for everyone. So for situations where the suggestions are not working you know, for you or you have stubborn or very painful gas, it's possibly better to work with a, a coach to tackle the situation together. A coach can help to reassure you that what you're experiencing is natural and a part of the process. They can reaffirm that what you're doing will help in the long run. And they can focus your attention on the suggestions that might give you the most bang for your buck. I like to add that, you know, when you work with a coach, they also look at all symptoms you're experiencing, not just those, you know, associated with gas. Sometimes there is an overlap happening. Like for instance, constipation and bloating will occur at the same time. In the podcast, you know, we only addressed bloating and it didn't even touch upon constipation. So a a coach can help give you suggestions to address both of these issues. And you know, I guess is a journey which can extend over several years. So why not gain a friend and a a cheerleader companion to make the experience more pleasurable? Wouldn't
0: you say, Monica? I agree hundred percent. You know what? The, doing gaps on your own, uh, it's such a lo- long journey. Quite often, we we have we have our partners, family members, kids, aunties, neighbors, just kind of you know uh, doubting what we're doing uh, because what we're doing is kind of against what the mainstream media and and the Western healthcare is advising us. So that's why having a gaps coach. Who is, who is basically holding your hand even if it's a virtual hand because you know during this times pandemic and so on uh, we we don't even see our clients uh physically but um it's so important to actually even sometimes to talk to gaps coach and sometimes to vent and and just share the you know emotions and worries and just ask lots of questions to to get that reassurance you are not breaking your body, you are healing your body. Yes, you're having all these bad symptoms, annoying, painful, uncomfortable. But in a long term, you are healing. Um, so I absolutely agree. And Tanya, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear a bit more about, about your services and how they can contact you.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Monica. You know, I would love to make contact with any listeners that are interested in work with working with me you know my company name is living and wellness coaching services and my website is livinginwellness.ca on there you can find a list of all my services that I offer as well as my gap story you know in more detail go go ahead and you know read it to see if you can relate I also have you know some blog postings where you can access more information so please do feel free to reach out to me and mention that you heard about me on the podcast. I would love to connect with you and thank you, you know, Monica for this wonderful opportunity for, to be on this podcast and to talk about gaps and get the information out there. You're doing such a great job, you know, by spreading the word and giving people an avenue to learn more about gaps. So thank you again.
0: Oh, Tanya, I, I I I feel super grateful that actually I've had you as 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 our uh, key guest speaker on our podcast because it's so much so much uh, easier to uh, to give uh, pretty much the same perspective of the same matters from from various gaps coaches and various health practitioners uh, because everybody conveys different story and and your expertise is, is, uh, is so valuable and thank you for answering all the questions from our How to GAPS members and um, as you've mentioned you know your, your, your mission is to spread the word about GAPS and by being here as, as our guest is, is definitely helping that and myself I, I want to shout about GAPS it's, it's like I think everybody should be in a GAPS diet, to, 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 to be frank, but obviously, you know, um, so we just need to reach more listeners. So yes. uh, our lovely listeners, uh, this is the end of part two podcast about gas. If you have not listened to part one, please do so. As There is a lot of valuable information about gas, bloating, burping. And if you're listening to it and you're just thinking and wondering what the hell how to GAPS is, and you don't remember yet, uh, please go on Facebook and find our group. It's called How To Gaps, two as a number, or just go to our website, www.howtogaps.com, two as a number. And when you join us, drop us a message, tell us you've listened to our podcast, uh, share what you've liked or tell us what you would like to learn from our future podcast. And we always are uh, 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 are looking for your questions, your suggestions, and we always invite some uh, interesting uh, people to help. Um, with educating uh, um, about health and this podcast is made possible by listeners like you so please 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 share this podcast with uh, people who may benefit from it which means everyone Uh, and thank you for your support and thank you Tanya again uh, for your insights.
1: Thank you so much.